In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Let's just start right here. Canada needs immigration to thrive. It always has. Canada also doesn't have enough homes for everyone who wants to come here. We don't even have enough homes for everyone who lives here. Whoever you blame for it, that's a fact. And that is how you get from here. The federal government is expanding Canada's immigration targets, saying on Tuesday the country will bring in 500,000 permanent residents per year starting in 2025. To hear the federal government may put a cap on the number of international students allowed to study in Canada, a suggestion that's supposed to be a step in solving the housing crisis. In less than one year, when the federal government floated the idea this week of a cap on international student visas, the reaction was immediate and intense. That's because it's an issue that sits at the intersection of what Canada would like itself to be and the reality of the country as it is. So what is at play here? Would capping student visas measurably curb the housing crisis? Would it crush post-secondary education? Would it send a message that we're serious about fixing this problem? Or would it embolden an anti-immigrant sentiment without achieving enough to make a difference? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Laura Dillon Kane is the Ottawa bureau chief for Bloomberg News, covering the Canadian government and economy right now, reporting on student visas. Hello, Laura. Hello, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, I'm glad I caught you in the midst of reporting on this thing. Yes, this issue has certainly come to a head recently. So we're seeing the government speaking about it. We're seeing experts speaking about it and international students speaking out as well. So uh, eager to, to continue my reporting on it and to talk about it with you a little bit. So maybe off the top, um, I know this has been reported on extensively, but for people uh, who want to know the big picture, uh, what are student visas in this context? How do they work in Canada? Well, the federal government is responsible for issuing student visas to foreigners who want to study in Canada. So first, um, an, a prospective international student has to gain acceptance to a Canadian university or college. Once they do that and they have an admission letter in hand, then they can apply for a student visa, which allows them to come travel here uh, and study at their university or college of choice. So um, once they do have that acceptance letter, though, there's really no cap that the federal government issues on the number of international students that it lets into the country. So while the government every year issues a permanent resident target, for example, last year that number was 430,000, there's no cap on the number of international students or temporary foreign workers. So we actually had a million newcomers come into Canada last year. So more than half of those were temporary foreign workers or international students. 
How has that been trending over the past decade for international students in particular? Like, is it skyrocketing? Has it has it been relatively stable? Skyrocketing is a very fair term. So in 2014, Stephen Harper's government actually created a new international student strategy that wanted to bring in 450,000 international students by 2022. They reached that goal by 2017. So actually over the past decade, since around 2012, the number of international students studying in Canada has actually tripled. So it's gone from about 275,000 in 2012 to more than 800,000 last year. So that is an enormous influx of newcomers to Canada who are putting strain on the housing supplies and themselves struggling to access adequate housing as they fly into often smaller communities where universities and colleges have issued you know, record numbers of acceptance letters to international students, but have not kept pace by building enough housing to accommodate them. Why so many so fast? Is it simply because our schools are that world-class or, or what are the other factors at play here? There are a lot of factors at play. So we'll start with the um, impetus for universities to bring in international students. Uh, They can charge three times as much Hmm. um, to international students, and they do, because tuition in Canada is subsidized for Canadian students, and the share of revenues that universities have received from provinces has gone down over time. So it's gone from about 42% of their revenues 10 years ago to about 35% last year. So they are getting less public funding, and they need to make up that shortfall. And international students are a very lucrative option for them. Now, universities will also say that international students bring you know, huge benefits to their institutions. They bring a worldliness. Um, they help the other Canadian students learn about different cultures. Mm-hmm. They bring different perspectives. And then there's also an argument that they bring money into the economy. Some estimates put that figure as as much as $30 billion a year. Right. So there is huge benefit. And Canada does need immigrants to sustain its labor force. And it, you know, university educated immigrants are really ideal immigrants in many of the government's eyes at the provincial level and the federal level. They want the best and brightest to come to Canada. And so the federal government has made immigration rules very flexible and accommodating and allowed university graduates to begin working in Canada right away and made it pretty easy for them to get permanent residency after the fact. So that's a huge attraction for international students. Mm -hmm. So they know They can come to Canada, attend school here, eventually graduate and work, and then hopefully become a permanent resident of this country. And the tuition, while it is expensive compared to what Canadians pay, it's still much, much cheaper than in the United States, right? When Canadians look at university tuition in the U.S., I mean, it boggles our minds that, you know, you could be paying forty dollars to $50,000 a year for tuition. I mean, university students here, even foreign ones, are not paying nearly as much as in the U.S., so it's still an attractive place to come. But as these housing pressures persist, you know, we might be in a situation where Canada starts to become less attractive to international students. That all paints, um, if not a rosy picture, then at least like an ideal picture of, you know, how the system should work. Um, It's revenue for the schools, it's opportunity for the students, and it helps diversify Canada. Is that system working as intended uh, with everybody benefiting? That is where we run into issues. So 
international students, you know, they're excited when they get the admissions to Canada. They want to move to this country and they've heard great things about it. But some are finding themselves very surprised when they get here and find out how hard it is to find a home and how expensive it is. I spoke with a student at Cape Breton University in Sydney, Nova Scotia. You know, he was warned by his friends, you know, from India who had already traveled there. He described it as being hard to survive there. You know, I thought that was a dire way of putting it. But, you know, housing, while it's not astronomical because it is a smaller community, it is really hard to find. You know, the first place he moved into might not have been that expensive. It was about $300 a month, but it was dirty, cramped, really not adequate housing. Hmm. And now he lives in a place shared with other students where it's, you know, $500 a month, which is much more, you know, it's reasonable rent. But it's harder in small towns to find a job to pay that rent. Uh, The transit is also really limited. So we're looking at situations where it's not just the bigger cities that have drawn all these international students, it's smaller communities too. And those communities haven't kept pace. The universities themselves, the colleges themselves, and the communities have not kept pace with building enough housing and infrastructure to bring in such a massive influx of students. And uh, in this community in Sydney, Nova Scotia in particular, you know, this sort of Indian diaspora sort of emerged overnight. You know, it wasn't a community that had a, a lot of Indian people. And so all of a sudden you're bringing in a huge Indian population, there was no Sikh Gurdwara for them to go. So they they established their own. And then that temple became sort of an ad hoc shelter for international students. When they would arrive, they would sleep in this religious temple while they tried to find housing. And so that's sort of the experience that international students have found themselves having. For the rest of the population, for Canadians, this massive influx of demand um, on the housing market has driven up both rentals and home prices. So the impact on rentals is obvious. There's really limited supply and everybody's competing. And then for home prices, we are seeing in some sort of Southwest Ontario communities like London, Kitchener, Waterloo, there is a lot of housing that would sort of be ideal for first-time home buyers, sort of smaller single-family homes and these communities that really shouldn't be incredibly expensive. You know, some place like Kitchener shouldn't be uh, rivaling Toronto in terms of of prices. And it's not, but it's still quite unhinged from um, local incomes Mm -hmm. because sort of these single family homes are being snapped up by investors and divided into rentals for students rather than being available housing stock for young families. So the whole system, you know, it's added immense pressure. It's made it harder for Canadians to buy homes or afford rent. And then the international students themselves are finding themselves not well served by the communities that they're moving to. Thank you, uh, by the way, for the perfect context um, of the situation as it stands. And this kind of all came to a head this week, um, I guess, at a uh, cabinet session, cabinet retreat for the federal government in PEI. Can you kind of run through what the government has said about the future of student visas? And and maybe we'll talk about uh, the reaction to that in a minute. That's right. So there has been increasing pressure on the federal government to do something about housing affordability. And um, that's come from Canadians themselves, as well as Pierre Polyev, the leader of the Conservative Party. He has laid the blame for the housing affordability issue at Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's feet. And earlier this summer, Trudeau said something that wound up being very controversial, which is that he said, housing is not a primary federal responsibility, Hmm. but we can help and we can do more. Now, People really seized on that statement. 
it's not necessarily untrue. You know, we can certainly argue that the federal government can and must do more, but everybody plays a role in improving housing affordability. And I'm just providing that context because there are certain things that the federal government can do to impact housing affordability. And one of the major levers they have is on supply. So they can reduce the number of immigrants coming into the country, competing for housing and driving up prices. So that's where the foreign student picture comes in, because since there's no cap on foreign students, that's really sort of an uncontrolled influx of supply into this country. And we've seen how dramatically the program has grown uh, in recent years. So that's why Housing Minister Sean Fraser, a new housing minister, I might add, a very well-spoken one, a rising star in cabinet, sort of signaling that um, Trudeau realizes this issue is a vulnerability for him, that he picked this excellent minister to lead this file. Uh, So he said this week at the cabinet retreat that certainly his government would consider imposing a cap on international students, that that, that's one thing that it could do that would have some relatively short-term impact on affordability. The reaction was mixed. You know, I think housing experts uh, see this as something that the government could and should do. However, provinces and universities were less keen on this. You know, I heard from Universities Canada that they were very concerned about this. They believe that international students bring a wealth of experience to their classrooms and that, you know, any cap needs to be worked with closely with governments. Are they really concerned about a wealth of experience or <laughs> is it like a huge revenue stream are we talking about here? Right. Is it their wealth <laughs> they're more concerned with? Yeah, I mean, I think universities and colleges or it would point to declining provincial revenue as the source of the problem, mm-hmm. that if there's going to be any kind of cap imposed, that public funding for universities needs to increase um, because they say you know, in a sense, they have to find the revenue somewhere. And if they're not allowed to charge domestic students more, which they're not, particularly in Ontario, there's been a tuition freeze as well as a 10% drop in domestic tuition. Although there are some exceptions to that at certain certain levels of schooling. But I think it's fair to say they're concerned about the revenue drop, but they would probably argue that they need that revenue to continue providing schooling to Canadians. And so Quebec as well was concerned about it. Mm-hmm. You know, provinces that want to bring in immigrants, and um, particularly Quebec wants to bring in francophone immigrants, uh, they don't like the idea of imposing a cap on this, this stream of immigrants who are, you know, going to be highly educated, good workers who are beneficial to the economy. So it's a tricky one. It's a, tif- a difficult balance to reach. In 2007... TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Can the provinces or the schools really do anything here, or is this something the government can impose unilaterally and they have to live with it if, if the feds make that call? I don't expect the federal government would do that. Technically, they could. I mean, the federal government is the one that issues the visas, so it could. Mm -hmm. And the way that 
Sean Fraser signaled it was that, you know, it was something they would were considering and they'd need to speak with stakeholders about it. So I would expect that they would engage with provinces and with universities and colleges. And one thing I'll just note about the federal government's approach is that they've been raising concerns about private colleges, in particular career colleges, perhaps exploiting international students. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one area that they might look into. We might see them imposing some caps on on those particular institutions or working with provinces to crack down a little bit on those institutions. Just as an anecdote, you know, I've been to India and I've been to communities where I've seen billboards advertising universities in Canada that I've never heard of. So these are like private career colleges that, you know, they're not the UBCs or the McGill's that that we're all familiar with. They're, They're institutions that may not ultimately lead to that useful of a degree or a career. And, you know, also earlier this year, we did hear about 700 Indian students who arrived in Canada unknowingly with falsified acceptance letters from universities that didn't exist, you know, because they were exploited by an immigration consultant, right? So um, the federal government, I think if it imposes such a cap, it will frame it as trying to protect foreign students from exploitation. And then I'll just add at Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's closing news conference yesterday, uh, he sort of signaled that he was less open to a cap than his ministers. I mean, he said we need to be very careful about blaming anyone in particular for the housing crisis. Hmm. That he said, you know, first it was uh, foreign buyers who were to blame, then it was developers, and now we're hearing about international students. So the liberal government has this fine line to walk where, yes, they do have power over an important lever on supply, but Canada is still generally a really pro-immigrant country and they really want to avoid being seen as xenophobic. And in fact, that's a brush they'd rather paint their conservative rival with. It's a tricky one for Trudeau, who, you know, really started out his tenure as prime minister as being extremely pro-immigrant. And, you know, we all remember him hugging Syrian refugees in airports. That is his brand. That's the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about, which is the optics of this potential move. I mean, you didn't hear it, but I played a clip in the intro of the government raising their immigration goals to uh, half a million by 2025. Like, that's a really ambitious target. And then have they said anything about how those goals and the potential cap on uh, international students can coexist? Right. I mean, they are not going to back down from that immigration target. I do not see it happening. We spoke with Immigration Minister Mark Miller relatively recently about that, and he said absolutely not. Canada needs that labor. It's true. We do need that labor. Mm -hmm. Our economy desperately needs it. Our workforce is aging. We have so many baby boomers retiring out of their careers. And, you know, they unfortunately didn't have enough babies. And millennials are also not having enough kids to sustain our population and our economy. So we desperately do need that that labor. And business groups are really pushing for that as well. So I don't see them backing down from that target. I think a foreign student cap, a sensible one, could be one way to go about it. And I think that they may be able to avoid that xenophobic paintbrush, you know, that they're fearful of if it was just a common sense one that was, you know, just not having it be completely uncontrolled and having, you know, more than 800,000 students in Canada as of the end of last year compared with 275,000 a decade earlier. But it is a tricky one because, you know, like I said, Canada is a pro-immigrant country and the Conservatives are also 
not, you know, banging on their door saying that we need to reduce the number of immigrants. Really, no party is calling for that other than Maxime Bernier's People's Party, which is a fringe party at this point. But is there concern that this move could give more credence to those types of views? Because, I mean, frankly, we've covered the housing crisis a ton. That's what I worry about. I think that the Liberal government is very concerned about that. And that's sort of what Justin Trudeau was saying uh, the other day when he said, let's not blame immigrants for the housing crisis. And I think it's just a really tough one because I think we might be coming to a point where Canadians are going to start to be a little more anti-immigrant than we've seen in the past, just because our housing stock has not kept pace. And of course, it's not the fault of any of the newcomers coming to the country that there isn't enough housing. You know, they're the ones who are also really struggling once they arrive with trying to find housing and to afford housing. Mm -hmm. But as the government has so aggressively increased immigration targets and various levels of government have failed to keep pace with housing, building new housing, that might set the stage for more of an anti-immigrant turn in Canada. And I think government officials are very worried about that. That's not something they want to see. They don't want that to become part of Canada's identity at home or abroad. And so it's a a really tricky one. It just is. I I don't know how they're going to navigate it, but we are seeing in polling, some Canadians think it's time to reduce those immigration targets. We did find a majority of Canadians felt that the immigration targets that we've set will have a negative impact on housing affordability in a recent poll that uh, Nanos Research did for us. Hmm. And, you know, increasingly, Canadians are telling pollsters that they would vote for someone who would lower immigration targets. I believe David Coletto of Abacus Data had a poll that showed that as well. That's quite a shift for Canada. It is a huge shift. And it's interesting, again, to look back over Prime Minister Trudeau's tenure and to think about how he was elected on a wave of sort of pro-refugee sentiment, you know, at the sort of height of the Syrian war, Canadians were feeling, you know, pretty uh, generous and, you know, we felt a lot of responsibility to Syrian refugees and to people fleeing war and we wanted to see them helped to find a new life in Canada. But now, eight years later, we are struggling with, um, you know, just not enough housing, soaring prices, soaring rents, a healthcare system that is frankly crumbling, you know, infrastructure that just can't keep up. And the tides just might be turning towards more of a conservative view on immigration, that perhaps it's time to just curb the supply a little bit while we get our house in order. Last question. Do we have a timeline for this? When will we know if uh, the government plans to act on this or not? They have not said. So really, at this point, it's something that they've floated as something they're seriously considering. But they have not said whether there's any timeline for sort of stakeholder meetings or analysis. So we just don't know. We'll have to keep watching. But I will say the Trudeau government clearly knows it needs to do something about housing affordability. And it needs to be seen to be doing something quickly, even though that's not necessarily how building housing supply works. It's not something that can be done overnight, obviously. (laughs) Again, the fact that Sean Fraser was moved into this role in a recent cabinet shuffle, the fact that the cabinet retreat this week was so focused on this issue really shows that Polyev's attacks and the sort of general mood of Canadians is really having an impact on Justin Trudeau's government. And so when the fall session starts uh, later in September, I think we will see a really strong focus on housing affordability 
pretty much every day in question period. And then with the fall economic statement coming sometime around November, so that's an annual budget update that sort of outlines some fresh priorities and where some money is being allocated. I think that's going to have a huge housing focus. So whether or not there is ultimately a cap imposed on international students, expect the Liberal government to be continuing to focus really strongly on housing. And, you know, they hope that they can recapture some voters that they think they've lost, especially young ones, especially millennials who were so essential to getting them elected in the last three elections. Mm -hmm. If they lose them, it will be very dire for their government in the next election. Laura, thank you so much for this uh, thorough explanation of a tricky issue. Thank you so much. I really appreciated being here. Laura Dillon Kane, Ottawa Bureau Chief for Bloomberg News. That was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can search for international students on our website and you'll find previous episodes that have dived into exploitation issues with some of these students. You can also talk to us. We'd love to hear what you think about this because as I mentioned in the intro, this sits right at the corner of a couple of important issues. So please, as always, feedback welcome. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email us, hello, at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And you can call us and leave a voicemail, 416-935-5935. Joseph Fish is the lead producer of The Big Story. Robin Simon is also a producer. Ryan Clark leads our sound design team. Mary Jubrin is our digital editor. Stephanie Phillips is our showrunner. I am Jordan Heath-Rawlings, your host. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk on Monday. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.